Chapter Two of Parnassus on Wheels. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Parnassus on Wheels by Christopher Morley. Chapter Two. It was a fine, crisp morning in fall, October, I dare say, and I was in the kitchen coring apples for applesauce. We were going to have roast pork for dinner with boiled potatoes and what Andrew calls Van Dyke brown gravy. Andrew had driven over to town to get some flour and feed and wouldn't be back until noontime. Being a Monday, Mrs. McNally, the washerwoman, had come over to take care of the washing. I remember I was just on my way out to the woodpile for a few sticks of birch when I heard wheels turn at the gate. There was one of the fattest white horses I ever saw and a queer wagon shaped like a van. A funny-looking little man with a red beard leaned forward from the seat and said something. I didn't hear what it was. I was looking at that preposterous wagon of his. It was colored a pale robin's egg blue, and on the side in big scarlet letters was painted, R. Mifflin's Traveling Parnassus, Good Books for Sale, Shakespeare, Charles Lamb, R.L.S. Hazlitt, and all others. Underneath the wagon, in slings, hung what looked like a tent, together with a lantern, a bucket, and other small things. The van had a raised skylight on the roof, something like an old-fashioned trolley car, and from one corner went up a stovepipe. At the back was a door with little windows on each side and a flight of steps leading up to it. As I stood looking at this queer turnout, the little reddish man climbed down from in front and stood watching me. His face was a comic mixture of pleasant drollery and a sort of weather-beaten cynicism. He had a neat little russet beard and a shabby Norfolk jacket. His head was very bald. "'Is this where Andrew McGill lives?' he asked. I admitted it. "'But he's away until noon,' I added. "'He'll be back then. There's roast pork for dinner.' "'And applesauce?' said the little man. "'And applesauce and brown gravy,' I said. "'That's why I'm sure he'll be home on time. "'Sometimes he's late when there's boiled dinner, "'but never on roast pork days. "'Andrew would never do for a rabbi.' "'A sudden suspicion struck me. "'You're not another publisher, are you?' I cried. "'What do you want with Andrew?' I was wondering whether he wouldn't buy this outfit, said the little man, including with a wave of his hand, both van and white horse. As he spoke, he released a hook somewhere and raised the whole side of his wagon like a flap. Some kind of catch clicked. The flap remained up like a roof, displaying nothing but books, rows and rows of them. The flank of his van was nothing but a big bookcase. Shelves stood above shelves, all of them full of books, both old and new. As I stood gazing, he pulled out a printed card from somewhere and gave it to me. Roger Mifflin's Traveling Parnassus. Worthy friends my wane doth hold, many a book, both new and old. Books, the truest friends of man, fill this rolling caravan. Books to satisfy all uses, golden lyrics of the muses. Books on cookery and farming, novels passionate and charming, every kind for every need, so that he who buys may read, what librarian can surpass us, Mifflin's Travelling Parnassus, by R. Mifflin, proprietor. Star Job Print, Selryville, Virginia. While I chuckled over this, he had raised a similar flap on the other side of the Parnassus, which revealed still more shelves loaded with books.
I'm afraid I am severely practical by nature. Well, I said, I should think you would need a pretty stout steed to lug that load along. It must weigh more than a coal wagon. Oh, Peg can manage it all right, he said. We don't travel very fast. But look here, I want to sell out. Do you suppose your husband would buy the outfit Parnassus, Pegasus, and all? He's fond of books, isn't he? Hold on a minute, I said. Andrew's my brother, not my husband, and he's altogether too fond of books. Books'll be the ruin of this farm pretty soon. He's mooning about over his books like a sitting hen about half of the time, when he ought to be mending harness. Lord, if he saw this wagon load of yours, he'd be unsettled for a week. I have to stop the postman down the road and take all the publishers' catalogues out of the mail so that Andrew don't see em. I'm mighty glad he's not here now, I can tell you. I'm not literary, as I said before, but I'm human enough to like a good book, and my eye was running along those shelves of his as I spoke. He certainly had a pretty miscellaneous collection. I noticed poetry, essays, novels, cookbooks, juveniles, school books, Bibles, and what not, all jumbled together. Well, see here, said the little man, and about this time I noticed that he had the bright eyes of a fanatic. I've been cruising with this Parnassus going on seven years. I've covered the territory from Florida to Maine, and I reckon I've injected about as much good literature into the countryside as ever old Doc Elliot did with his five-foot shelf. I want to sell out now. I'm going to write a book about literature among the farmers, and want to settle down with my brother in Brooklyn and write it. I've got a sack full of notes for it. I guess I'll just stick around until Mr. McGill gets home and see if he won't buy me out. I'll sell the whole concern, horse, wagon, and books, for four hundred dollars. I've read Andrew McGill's stuff, and I reckon the proposition'll interest him. I've had more fun with this Parnassus than a barrel of monkeys. I used to be a schoolteacher till my health broke down. Then I took this up, and I've made more than expenses and had the time of my life. Well, Mr. Mifflin, I said, if you want to stay around, I guess I can't stop you, but I'm sorry you and your old Parnassus ever came this way. I turned on my heel and went back to my kitchen. I knew pretty well that Andrew would go up in the air when he saw that wagon load of books, and one of those crazy cards with Mr. Mifflin's poetry on it. I must confess that I was considerably upset. Andrew is just as unpractical and fanciful as a young girl, and always dreaming of new adventures and rambles around the country. If he ever saw that traveling Parnassus, he'd fall for it like a snap. And I knew Mr. D. Cameron was after him for a new book anyway. I'd intercepted one of his letters suggesting another happiness and hayseed trip just a few weeks before. Andrew was away when the letter came. I had a suspicion what was in it, so I opened it, read it, and, well, burnt it. Heavens as though Andrew didn't have enough to do without mooning down the road like a tinker just to write another book about it. As I worked around the kitchen, I could see Mr. Mifflin making himself at home. He unhitched his horse, tied her up to the fence, sat down by the woodpile, and lit a pipe. I could see he was in for it. 
By and by I couldn't stand it any longer. I went out to talk to that bald-headed peddler. See here, I said. You're a pretty cool fish to make yourself so easy in my yard. I tell you I don't want you around here. You and your traveling parcheesy. Suppose you clear out of here before my brother gets back and don't be breaking up our happy home. Miss McGill, he said. The man had a pleasant way with him, too, darn him, with his bright twinkling eye and his silly little beard. I'm sure I don't want to be discourteous. If you move me on from here, of course I'll go. But I warn you I shall lie in wait for Mr. McGill just down this road. I'm here to sell this caravan of culture, and by the bones of Swinburg, I think your brother's the man to buy it. My blood was up now, and I'll admit that I said my next without proper calculation. Rather than have Andrew buy your old parcheesi, I said, I'll buy it myself. I'll give you three hundred for it. The little man's face brightened. He didn't either accept or decline my offer. I was frightened to death that he'd take me right on the nail, and bang would go my three years' savings for a Ford. "'Come here and have another look at her,' he said. I must admit that Mr. Roger Mifflin had fixed up his van mighty comfortable inside. The body of the wagon was built out on each side over the wheels, which gave it an unwieldy appearance, but made extra room for the bookshelves. This left an inside space about five feet wide and nine long. On one side he had a little oil stove, a flap table, and a cozy-looking bunk, above which was built a kind of chest of drawers, to hold clothes and such things, I suppose. On the other side, more bookshelves, a small table, and a little wicker easy-chair. Every possible inch of space seemed to be made useful in some way, for a shelf or a hook or a hanging cupboard or something. Above the stove was a neat little row of pots and dishes and cooking usefuls. The raised skylight made it just possible to stand upright in the center aisle of the van, and a little sliding window opened onto the driver's seat in front. Altogether it was a very neat affair. The windows in front and back were curtained, and a pot of geraniums stood on a diminutive shelf. I was amused to see a sandy Irish terrier curled up on a bright Mexican blanket in the bunk. "'Miss McGill,' he said, "'I couldn't sell Parnassus for less than four hundred. I've put twice that much into her one time and another. She's built clean and solid all through, and there's everything a man would need from blankets to bullion cubes.' The whole thing's yours for four hundred, including dog, cook-stove, and everything. Jib, boom, and spanker. There's a tent and a sling underneath, and an ice-box. He pulled up a little trap-door under the bunk. And a tank of coal-oil, and Lord knows what all. She's as good as a yacht, but I'm tired of her. If you're so afraid of your brother taking a fancy to her, why don't you buy her yourself and go off on a lark? Make him stay home and mind the farm. Tell you what I'll do. I'll start you on the road myself, come with you the first day, and show you how it works. You could have the time of your life in this thing and give yourself a fine vacation. It would give your brother a good surprise, too. Why not? I don't know whether it was the neatness of his absurd little van, or the madness of the whole proposition, 
or just the desire to have an adventure of my own and play a trick on Andrew. But anyway, some extraordinary impulse seized me, and I roared with laughter. <laughs> right, I said. I'll do it. I, Helen McGill, in the thirty-ninth year of my age. End of chapter 2